You are Locked On Kentucky, your daily Kentucky Wildcats podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Welcome to the Locked On Kentucky Podcast. We bring you info and insights on UK football and basketball every weekday. Stay informed by making us part of your morning or afternoon commute. Listen and follow for free on Apple or Google Podcasts. Simply subscribe to Locked On Kentucky. I'm Dan Reefer with Fox 56 along with Kyle Tucker of The Athletic. And a big win for Kentucky over the weekend. Beating Florida 65-59. First half tied at 31. Uh, Second half... Well, I should say, before we even get into that, the win gives Kentucky, keeps Kentucky two games up in the SEC, 12-2 and record. Uh, the next closest is uh, both all, are both Auburn and LSU tied at 10-4. and uh, So that's important going down the stretch here uh, for Kentucky to get, almost certainly to get one of the uh, four buys into the SEC tournament and, and not have to play till Friday and only have to win three games to win the, win the tournament. Uh, but... The second half is what this game was all about. It was tied at 31 at halftime, and Emmanuel quickly just absolutely took off, scoring Kentucky's uh, 15 of Kentucky's first 19 points in the second half. He had 22 of the total 34 points Kentucky scored in the second half. But then defensively as well. I mean, we'll definitely talk about quickly. But defensively, uh, Kentucky did such a job uh, on Florida in that second half. After Florida had gotten the lead – I think uh, got up like 740 to 33 and then Kentucky goes on a 194 run but what was most impressive to me was from the 1354 mark to 703 so almost 7 minutes no field goals for all, uh, for for Florida and then from that 703 mark all the way to 209 another almost 5 minutes no field goals for Florida so basically from about 14 minutes to 2 minutes a 12-minute stretch there. Florida had two field goals that were separated by uh, six or five minutes on either side. That <laughs> is playing some really good defense to be able to do that, and that's how you win a basketball game. The crazy thing is from 7.03 to 2.09, the between makes for Florida, they only had two other field goal attempts. <laughs> so I that's guess a lot of a lot of uh, turnovers and free throws. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was. I thought, in general, a pretty strong performance by Kentucky. Uh, Florida's been playing really well; had gotten themselves very much back in the mix. They were very motivated to um, win that game to secure their place. I think it would have secured Florida's place in the NCAA tournament. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Kerry Blackshear was super motivated. He played really well, especially early uh, against Kentucky. Eighteen point six rebounds, um, and then they kind of started getting to him a little more. Uh, as that game went on. But, yeah, the story is Emmanuel Quickly, um, who hilariously, uh, I asked Calipari at LSU, is it time to start talking about him for SEC Player of the Year? And, Cal, we talked about it on the podcast last week. Calipari launched into this random aside, not answering my question, about how he likes to have five guys that score 25 at least in a game at some point every season because that – means you you know you're sort of um uh guarded against relying too much on any one guy come NCAA tournament time yeah everybody that means everybody in your on your roster can can go off and carry you on a given night but Emmanuel uh had not gotten 25 he pointed out 
<laughs> right. Um, which was strange. I mean, they had Tyrese Maxey, obviously, uh, Ashton, EJ even, Nick, all had 25. Emmanuel had 23 in a game, and he scored 20-plus six times a season before the last game. So it seemed an odd thing to even point out. I mean, he's their most, most reliable scorer. He's their leading scorer. Um, but so He's the just very, throwing you off the trail, Kyle. Yes. Just throwing you off the trail. So the very next game, Emmanuel quickly comes out and drops 26, yeah. uh, which is just – I thought that was very funny. Um, but to me, it's like, you know, if I'm making a case for SEC Player of the Year for Emmanuel quickly or even just like team MVP – it's that he makes every single big shot and free throw, mm-hmm. you know, and not just in those last few minutes. I mean, you mentioned Florida breaks the, the halftime tie with a 7-0 run, so they're up seven. And from that point forward, Emmanuel quickly goes three-point play, three-point play, three-pointer, three-pointer, three-pointer. <laughs> right. Five consecutive trips where he scored three points. 15 total points in five and a half minutes. I mean, that is a blowtorch. Um, well, and, and then the, at the end of the game, I mean, at, 209 yes. to go that, that uh, you know, where they Florida breaks their drought of five minutes without a field goal, and there's a lob to Keontae Johnson for a dunk, and that brings it to a five-point game. Shot clock winding down, quickly runs over there and throws that thing up hits the front of the rim, goes high off the glass and drops in. Place goes nuts, a minute 34 to go. It's an eight-point game instead of, um, you know, Florida closing in again. And then, of Yeah, course, I mean, if they the if throws. they get a shot clock violation there or they just miss it, you know, then, then Florida's got a minute and a half to go in a two-possession game. Right. And, yeah, and then, as you, yeah, then, then quickly hits two more clutch free throws to ice it at the very end. Um, he's now 30 of 31 <laughs> in crunch time free throws. Close games, the final three minutes or overtime, um, but yeah, I, Calipari was finally ready to. I asked this is the very first thing of the press conference that I yes. asked I was like, now that he's in the twenty-five point club, can we talk about it? And Cal didn't even even still, Cal's comments were like minimalist on on Emmanuel, but he did say, yeah, he said, uh, it's basically it's time for him to have his own slogan. He goes, are you ready for this? I'm with. Quick. Is that what he said? I'm with, no, I'm I'm with, with IQ. IQ. I'm with IQ. I'm with IQ. Uh, so I thought I was trying to think of what that's a reference to. Is it, I'm with Ike. It was a, well, that was my, no, that was that's I exactly like Ike, where right? my mind went to. So I, my mind went to I'm with Ike. And so I was trying to explain it on our television show uh, Sunday night. And I, I was going down that road. It's I like Ike, though. Exactly. I Google it and it's I like Ike. And I'm like, oh, well, why do I think it's I'm with Ike? I could have swore that was it. So then I just, uh, you know, canned the whole thing and didn't bring up Eisenhower at all because I was going to go down the road of <laughs> none of you know this. And I even asked one of my co-hosts who's in his 20s, have oh, you ever boy. heard with uh, I like Ike? He's like, no, what does that oh, mean? Like, uh, Dwight Eisenhower. He goes, yeah, it's before my time there. I'm like, well, I wasn't alive was before in 1952 my time either. It's <laughs> called Rita history book. <laughs> right. So, Good Lord. I know. That's, uh, that's something that happens often these days. But anyway – so that's not it. So I'm with IQ. I don't know. Maybe he misremembers it also. You know, I mean, there's so many things we, we misremember, like the Berenstein Bears thing. Um, maybe some of us remember it as I'm, I'm with, with Ike. Ike. Yeah. Because that's what it sounded like to me. I'm with IQ. But whatever. Um, yeah, I like I like IQ would have been great. Um, I like IQ. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, Eisenhower, by the way, died like uh, 12 years before I was born. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Uh, there's no, there's just no excuse <laughs> not to right. know one of the presidents of the United States. <laughs> right. <laughs> Golly. Oh, man. Anyway. All right. Uh, so we should take a break on that note. Uh, a little more to talk about on Emmanuel quickly. It was something he said after the game. Uh, I don't know if you heard it, but uh, I thought found it very interesting. And we'll discuss that when the Locked On Kentucky podcast continues. At Buffalo Trace Distillery, the world's most award-winning distillery, see 200 years of bourbon-making history in action. Smell the mash cooking. Touch the charred oak barrels aging in century-old warehouses. Hear the tales of bourbon legends Taylor, Blanton, Weller, and Lee. And taste award-winning spirits at America's oldest continually operating distillery. Experience a tour for every taste. Buffalo Trace Distillery offers six unique tours, complimentary tours, seven days a week, year-round, like the popular Trace Tour. Or you can see Bourbon Pompeii and walk through history on the E.H. Taylor Tour. Visit the world's bourbon destination, Buffalo Trace Distillery. To learn more about the distillery's history and spirits, visit buffalotracedistillery.com. If you mention that you heard about Buffalo Trace Distillery on the Locked On Kentucky podcast, you get 10% off merchandise at the gift shop. You are Locked On Kentucky, your daily Kentucky Wildcats podcast. Okay, we're back here on the Locked On Kentucky podcast. And Kyle, I think it was uh, after the LSU game that Nate Sestina uh, revealed that he had read a book recently about uh, toughness, a book that Calipari had recommended to him that where it, it – talks about eliminating negative phrases in your mind and and uh, breathing and then to start your breathing even before you go to the free throw line just right after you get fouled start your breathing to you know cr- create mental toughness and so Manuel quickly was asked about I can't remember what the question was to him but his answer was well there's this book I'm reading and he goes I actually read this page today and he said it's about war and in no way am I saying that basketball games are anything like war. But this particular book talks about, in in war, the least likely person uh, to die is the one who's least afraid of dying. Or the last person to die is most likely the one who's least afraid of dying. And he said, in my mind, I relate that to uh, not being afraid to fail. So if I miss the don't be afraid to take that shot, um, and, and miss it. And so I kind of, that's kind of my approach mentally. And it was funny that, you know, at, at halftime, Calipari said at halftime and, you know, players backed it up that he told Emmanuel that if he didn't take those open shots, he was going to take him out. Uh, yeah. I mean, <clears throat> the interesting thing about the run that quickly's on is in the six game winning streak, which by the way, I, I pointed this out on Twitter and I had pointed it out a couple weeks ago, one thing Kentucky hasn't done as much as well as they've played lately or had not done is win six in a row, um, which you've against got to do. quality competition. Yes. Yeah. They did it in the, against the nobodies. It was like Georgia tech and five teams that were ranked in the two hundreds, but against real teams, which you have to win six in a row to win the national title. They have now done that six straight sec wins. And, um, in that, excuse me, in that six-game winning streak, Emmanuel Quickly is averaging fifteen and a half points in the second half. Yeah, um, that's amazing. He, he's definitely a finisher, 
But I do think sometimes they have to encourage him to kind of be a starter um, to get going early. Well, and Calipari alluded to this a couple weeks ago. I can't remember which game it was, but he said, we like to start, or I wanted to start, going to quickly because he's been you know going pretty good here lately. But we were running the play to the wrong side, so it was going, going to Tyrese instead. Like, I guess he's calling the play, but he's not thinking of which side quickly or Maxie is on. And so running that play to that side, and Maxie just was, was doing fine with it. So instead of starting with quickly, he started with Maxie. But the, the thought process uh, was revealed, at least, that Calipari thinks sometimes of trying to start the game with quickly because, you know, he's so good at those floaters. Yeah, I, I uh, and I do think they've, they've clearly made a, a priority of that. Um, weirdly, sometimes those floaters quickly, like, at least in this recent stretch where he's been trying to draw more fouls, I feel like sometimes he throws them up without any real intention of making them. <laughs> you know, that he's just trying to get the foul. Yeah. But once he gets going, I, I think it's been interesting to watch him develop because, you know, it starts out, you know, season starts out, he starts a little slow, he's not even in the starting lineup, then he starts to make shots and he moves into the starting lineup, then he is making all these free throws and he says, okay, I'm going to figure out how to get more free throws. Then I think he his his overall field goal percentage suffers a little bit because he's so focused on getting the foul and not making the shot. And now he start. I feel like he may be entering this phase of both. Um, and that's big. I mean, because, you know, he was hitting some high degree of difficulty. You mentioned the one at the end of the shot clock. Um, was the other one he banked in for the like, other? Yeah. Another uh, and yeah, he, one. He had several really tough ones. Um, and so he, had he a crazy up, one a couple games ago like that. Yeah, he ends up just shy of 50% um, from the field for the game, four of six from three, six of six from the line. Um, the second half, what did he – second half, he's seven of 11. Yeah. Um, I forgot where I was going. I got my uh, my train of th- thought off a little bit. But just a, a few things on quickly. Now 18.5 points a game in the league, four like four and a half rebounds a game in the league, 46% from three in league games. Yeah, ninety-one uh, percent from the free throw line, and then the thing we talked about going into the last week, he's still like fifty-plus field goal attempts overall in league games, behind the other leaders in scoring, but he especially still leads the league uh, in conference play at one point six points per field goal attempt, um, which is if you if you do that computation in your head, it's closer right. than not to basically two points every time he shoots the ball, averaging out. A lot of that is because a lot of his scoring comes from uh, beyond the arc. So every one that goes in is worth three, plus all the free throws. Um, his numbers per 40 minutes ought to be pretty pretty nice. Yeah, I haven't uh, I haven't pulled that as up. As far as efficiency. Um, but he's, uh, he's, well, I mean, I mean, he's, he's very good. I mean, and then one thing I looked up, too, as I was writing, I wrote a whole thing about Emmanuel Quickly for SEC Player of the Year on The Athletic. Um, Which is up the, now? Yes, it's up now. In the last um, nine games, I believe it is, he's averaged 13 field goal attempts. And over the last seven games, he's averaged eight and a half free throw attempts. Yeah. Um, so his usage is going way up. I mean, they're getting him shots. He's pulling the trigger. He's, as we've talked about him many times, getting getting uh, to the free throw line more. Um, 
I just think he's uh, he has 16 consecutive games in double figures. Um, you know, we mentioned he's averaging almost 19 points on the road. If he finishes yeah. out the regular season this way and Kentucky wins the SEC regular season, I think you have to give the player of the year to Emmanuel quickly. I think so. And, it, you know, his numbers have evened out like over the season now. He's I mean, he leads to, him and he's almost 16 points a game for the whole year. Yeah. I mean, he's up to 40.5% from three for the entire season. That's almost as good as his overall field goal percentage. Yes, yeah, that's the weird, the weirdest, the only weird thing about Emmanuel Quickly. Um, and he had mentioned to me in a story I worked on early in the season, he was really, he really wanted to try to get the rare 50 40 90, 50 from field goal, 40 from three, 90 from the free throw line. Um, not many guys get that in basketball period at any level. Uh, and he really hoped to get it. And he's got the he's got the 40 from three and the 90 from free throw, but he's like right. barely 40% overall field goal shooter. It's that's the only strange thing about his uh his numbers. His poor his per 40. I mean, <laughs> the problem with the with with being like, "Oh, I bet his per 40 are crazy." He plays like 37 minutes a game now. Um yeah. here lately, but per 40 for the season, he's at 19 Point one points and five rebounds, two point three assists. Um, but I mean, he's to me, he's as good a guy as there is in the league because you, there are just not many players in college basketball who, on a given night, you say he's going to be at least good. You know, he's not going to no show, yeah. and he's and he's going to range from good to excellent to assassin and lately he's been a lot more assassin than anything else i mean he's been the guy that's hit all of the big shots it's that second half it's almost as if maybe he's he's as the game gets going he's like okay who's gonna do what you know is is it is tyrese going is ashton getting to the rim uh are we feeding nick is nick getting going and then if the offense is not going at halftime like hey emmanuel quit quit Passing up shots, we need you to we need you to score now. And then yeah, goes, and I do okay, think, okay, I'll I'll be the offense then. I do think he's sort of the consummate teammate, and um, I think it's freeing for him when they come into the locker room at halftime. And he said one of the assistants is yelling at him, "Shoot the bleeping ball." Um, <laughs> that I mean, can you get him more of a green light than that when they're no. screaming at you to shoot it? Uh, and so at that point, I think he feels unleashed to do that. But I would imagine a lot of times he does defer a little bit because he's not a selfish player. Right. Um, but when they say shoot it and then you start heaving in heat checks, uh, you I, <laughs> what, what's to stop you? So I thought it was interesting, too, in the game notes, they mentioned that he's now Kentucky's now 9-0 and when he hits at least three threes in a game. Yeah. Well, that's going to be key. I mean, that's going to be key for them uh, going down down the stretch here. All right, when we uh, come back on Locked on Kentucky, more on this win over Florida. Uh, And, gosh, what a crazy weekend in college basketball. When the Locked on Kentucky podcast continues. This is Locked on Kentucky, your team every day. We're back here on the Locked on Kentucky podcast. And uh, when you look at what Nick Richards did, it wasn't, you know, uh, it wasn't a very impressive performance because, I mean, he was fine. But and and Calipari didn't say that he got outworked or anything. I don't know that uh, that um, Kerry Blackshear like you know just muscled him out or whatever. But 
it was his his first rebound of the game didn't come until 1425 of the second half and I mean he winds up in the second half with six rebounds then that's that they all came in the second half but for for Tyrese Maxey to go out there and get seven rebounds to get seven assists um to me that says something about his growth a little bit. Now, now I don't know if we're just taking this one game, but it feels like the last few games he's come along a little more, a little more, with more energy defensively. Uh, the Calipari said that was a little bit of a breakthrough. That they're telling him he has to be a guy who goes and gets some of these rebounds, uh, and he did. And then you add Ashton Hagen's situation over these last – his struggles over the last month – where he's not been uh, very efficient with the ball. He's been, you know, turning it over a lot more. And here comes Maxi, who provides the passing and, and fewer turnovers, knowing that Ashton wasn't going to start because of the, the thigh contusion. Uh, so I think that says a little bit more. I could be reading too much into it, but it feels like Maxi is, is, is ascending. No, I think he's made some, some real growth. I mean – you know, 13 points is just a ho-hum day for a guy that you expect to be a big-time scorer. Right. Um, but he was efficient there. He, he was 5 of 11 from the field, uh, made all his free throws, made two big ones at the end before Quickly's. He had the bigger ones because it was a four-point game, yes. I think, and, and he had to make his. Right. Um, but, yeah, seven assists and two turnovers uh, in that game, played 38 minutes in a game where Hagens did – his best to play, I think, and Cal said, you know, I was dangerous that I played him. If he got hit in the right spot, he would have been out three or four games. Yeah. Um, when he said that, I was like, oh. <laughs> yeah, that was a little alarming. But another, you know, I don't know whether to chalk that up to the injury or just how he's been playing lately because we've seen something like it before. But he was seven points and six turnovers. Um but Calipari finally acknowledged. How many times have you asked? Hey, yeah. Is this a concern? Is this a concern? You didn't ask if it was a concern. He just brought it up. Said, "Well, Ashton, six turnovers. Come on, we got to clean mean, this up." Yeah, he I mean, finally some, admitted it. At some point, your starting point guard cannot be turning the ball over. You know, four, four, five, six times a game. Correct. You know, almost every single night. Um, because the thought I had, and I actually got a few text messages during that game, is you know. As much as everybody loves Ashton Higgins, uh, I'm a I'm a fan of the kid as a person, as a defender. He's incredible to watch. Nobody disputes any of that. But as a decision maker, Ashton Higgins lately looks like a guy who's going to cost Kentucky a game in the NCAA tournament. At some point in a tight game, he's going to make a mistake. The way he's playing right now. I mean, he's just not making good decisions. Well, 30 seconds left to go. There was a wild sequence. There's a Florida steal. Then Florida turns it over. Then Hagens has it. He tries to dribble through, you know, the middle of the court through several guys. He turns it back over. And then he turns around and fouls. And so with 19 seconds left, Kentucky's up four. And uh, Scotty Lewis goes to the free throw line. He misses the front end, but then he tips it in. Yeah. So now it's a two-point game. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Hagens, Hagens turned it over on the inbound. Kentucky got it right back, and he turned it over again, and then, yeah, he commits the foul. I mean, just a horrible sequence for Ashton Hagens. And, you know, the other thing is, 
I mean, he's just right now. He's a killer for them offensively. I'm looking at let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six. In six of the last seven games, he's well below fifty percent from the field yeah. shooting. Yeah, uh, he's made like three out of twelve, thirteen, fourteen three pointers, and he's had games with six, four, five, and six five and four turnovers mm. um you know he's only had one game where he only had where he had single a single turnover every every game in the last eight or nine he's had you know three plus it's just uh it's well, alarm remember- it's, it's officially alarming now you know and especially when the march you know last march's final memory was of how his play against auburn was Seven turnovers was it six or seven? Yeah, I mean, was uh, was costly. You know, and he had a bunch when they lost six turnovers when they lost the game at Auburn earlier this year. Um, how would you, I really consider shutting him down? Uh, you know, for Tuesday's game, give him a week off. You've got a huge game against Auburn at home. Um, right, Maxie showed he can run the team a little bit. Quickly can carry him offensively. Um. You know, if it's true what Cal said that he could, if he took a shot in the wrong spot, he could miss several games in a row. Like, okay, you got you you needed to beat Florida. If you can't beat a bad Texas A and M team with the guys you got, uh, you know, and sit your one legged point guard down. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I I just think if he's really in that kind of situation, uh, if his body's you know, if we're if we're at that point that we saw him at at the end of last season where he got worn down physically then give him the week off <laughs> you it's know? not a bad idea i don't think it is at all i mean calipari even made the comment fresh legs and fresh minds win in march yeah and he doesn't look at all and there's nothing about ashton Hagens that looks fresh right now right yeah you're gonna it's need just, him against auburn just you gotta win that game uh, one thing i was gonna we just to hit a couple bases that we haven't hit um unrelated to that uh, you mentioned nick I did think it was impressive the way Nick finished. He had he had no rebounds of four, 14 minutes to go in the game, and he got six by the end. Um, he when they needed it, he got really aggressive. He got he climbed yeah. on his trampoline again a couple times did, to go get yeah. some crazy ones, a couple big late ones. He ends up with nine points and six rebounds. A uh, couple times he went right over the top of of Blackshear to score uh, with hook shots. Um, I didn't. I, I didn't think that was too alarming of a performance. He got a, a little bit pushed around by the senior Blackshear, who was again super motivated early. Um, but he I, mostly he kind of got neutralized in that first half by foul trouble. He only played ten minutes in the first half because he got two yeah. fouls. And EJ yeah. was the same thing. It's like EJ's cursed. He comes in, scores the first two buckets of a game, and looks great, and then gets <laughs> right. two fouls in you know fifteen seconds. Yeah. Um, at one no, point, you're right. There was a. There was a strong finish i mean he had a um that great rebound that he fell down he battled his travel. ass off to get that one he battled for one with like a minute to go after quickly had missed the three and you call uk calls a timeout right there um montgomery too i mean he he ends up with six points um, he's he's done some aggressive stuff offensively. He's attacking on that baseline. He had, he had a huge that block with like a minute huge, twenty to go. Huge block late that Cal Perry singled out. Um, it's funny. Like my new favorite game with Cal Perry is to like watch some random play 
uh, from one of the you know secondary guys that Calipari is going to come out and rave about being the play of the game. <laughs> <laughs> you know, some Johnny Juzang rebound with eight minutes to go. Right. You know what really won us the game? <laughs> um, I mean, that was a big block, but uh, it was. Yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd go. I'd probably lean towards an Emmanuel quickly play that won him the game. But I know, yeah, you know, you know what Cal's doing there. Um, but it, right. I, I did think it was interesting too that Cal Perry um, it made it a point to say that like EJ Montgomery is so close. You know, he emphasized right. like he's so close, um, and I. I he he also said something that I I don't know that I've heard him say before. Maybe I'm wrong, but he said I thought a few weeks ago we were maxed out. Um, I don't remember him saying that either, and not publicly. Anything. Yeah, yeah. He said I thought maybe this is as good as we can get. Like three or four weeks ago, I think he said. But what makes teams better down the stretch is when individual guys kind of take it on themselves to make strides. And I, EJ was the guy that that led to the comment about EJ is so close. Um, and I thought that was the most hopeful he has sounded about you know, EJ coming, you know, coming close to turning a corner a little bit, you know. And, and I think too, one thing you have to do at this point. Somebody mentioned this, I think, in the comments of one of the stories. I think in the, what I wrote about Nate out of the LSU game is that they've come to think about uh, the four position for Kentucky as a just a three guys combining to whatever those guys, you know, whatever Montgomery and Brooks and Sestina give them, that's what you got out of your four spot because you feel great about your guards and you feel great about Nick. And so if you do that, if you add up, you know, EJ, Nate, and Keon, none of whom had big games, you know, then your four spot gave you 10 points and six rebounds. Um, You know, you can get by on that. You know, they like a little more than that, but th- that that's at least a serviceable number. And then they that what two blocks? I think EJ Montgomery ended up with two blocks. So you know, ten point six rebounds, two blocks. I guess you'll take that out of your your four spot most nights. But um, well, it's going to be big against Texas A and M. I mean, that uh, Jeff Nebo, big dude, had twenty one points um, over the weekend, and then that Savion flag to uh, there. Their front court, they're bigger. They're kind of like a Mississippi State size-wise uh, yeah. you know, across the front. Yeah, I mean, this is and a they, game They Kentucky haven't needs. won five in a row like uh, Calipari said. They've won three in a row. They, <laughs> five in a row. They're not uh, great wins, they're, but they're wins. And you got to be on alert because, you know, this crazy season continues in college basketball. You made reference to, reference to it just uh, to put into context what another bonkers week we had in college basketball. Uh, in in last week over the course of the week, number one, number two, number four, number six, number seven, number nine twice, number 13, number 14, number 17, number 18, number 19, and number 22 lost to lower-ranked or unranked teams. <laughs> right. I mean, yeah. that is that is amazing. I mean, that is a, a really, really, really wild week. And that also says something for, you know, ugly or not, you know, uh, can't handle the press and almost – cough it up twice in a twice in a week as Kentucky did. There's something to be said just for escaping and winning. Just uh, surviving and, and advancing. You know, and I mean, LSU on the road and Florida at home is a good pair of wins. That's a very, very solid pair of wins. Yeah. Um, and now Kentucky's won six straight. They've won 10 out of 11. They've won 14 out of 16. Um, also notable that basically, <clears throat> excuse me, Nick Richards and Emmanuel quickly both announced their arrival in that Louisville game, you know, fully announced it 
and that's six. You know, they're on a 16 game run of playing really well. Um, and in those 16 games, Kentucky's only lost twice, and both those games that they lost went down to the wire. So Kentucky, I think, has to increasingly feel good about itself because it it's not really stubbing its toe lately, uh, and a lot of other teams are. And the computers still don't love Kentucky, but they've climbed up to, I think, 26th in Ken Palm and 21 in the net. Mm-hmm. Uh, is it 21? 21 uh, in the net. Something yeah. like that. Um so, well, you know, look, if they could, if Kentucky could be the best four seed, you know, if they if they do the serpentine thing and, it and get the worst one way, seed, and get uh, Gonzaga as your one, or San Diego State as the one, or Gonzaga as the one, San Diego State as the two, or something like that, uh, because I mean, I watched that BYU Gonzaga game. I mean, it's not like BYU is the most athletic team out there. I mean, they fought, they played yeah. hard, they they fought is what they did, and they made great shots. They were ready for that game. But UNLV, I mean, it's terrible. UNLV's terrible. Um, and then yes, San Diego State 14 was and 14 home. going into that game, yeah. Yeah, San Diego State was at home. And, I mean, they've got one player who's really, really good, and they've got some other guys who are pretty good. Uh, I but, think you'd feel – I mean, I think Kentucky would feel very good about getting – if they were opposite a one seed like San Diego State, if they get yeah. a one seed. But, I mean, ideally you get a three seed and you avoid <laughs> – Yes, You know, you, you avoid that until avoid you get to the one. Elite Eight. Um, to me, Kansas and Baylor are by far the two best teams out there. I, I mean, Duke yeah, can be at they've times. They've split their games, and they played a great game Saturday. That was yeah. fantastic. But as far as consistency, you know, Kansas has played well consistently. Baylor was on a 23-game win streak. Um, yeah. I, bu- I buy the Dayton hype. Like, I believe they're legit. Um, but they don't play a Big 12 schedule. They don't. You know what and, I mean? and Dayton has Dayton has the best player in the country, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and Obi Toppin, but uh, and a couple other. I mean, they've got some other dudes. They're not a one, you know, a one man band. But um, yeah, I I just think I think in general Kentucky's got to feel pretty good about how things are trending. I I would like their chances depending on matchups. I don't I don't think seeds matter all that much. It's more about match. Like they really don't want to draw Kansas. You know, Kansas doesn't want to draw Kentucky either. Um, <laughs> right. But yeah. you know. Uh, nobody's going to be happy about getting Kentucky. The one seed that gets Kentucky is going to be pissed, I think. Yeah. Um, but Kansas, I feel like, could be could be a horrible matchup for Kentucky because they've got the one sort of just absolute destroyer inside in uh, Azabuki, who's been incredible lately and was great against Baylor Saturday, could get Nick in foul trouble, all those things. Yeah. Um, good 23 work. points and 19 rebounds Azabuki has. Yeah, he's a monster. I mean, yeah. I – he may have like suddenly put himself into the the national player of the year race, yeah. but um, anyway, I I don't know that that seeds matter as much as matchups. They'd like to avoid Kansas, but really, honestly, like outside of Kansas, maybe they don't want to play Duke. But I don't know that. I mean, some teams have beaten Duke now. Um, yeah, and Nick Richards against Vernon Carey. I mean, that's you, you got to like know, that. I mean, that's, that's freshman against junior. At least, and and he's their best player, so you know, neutralize him. Just just play that to a push, and you're probably better at most of the other positions. Um, Baylor does have a really good backcourt. Fred Gillespie's a good big up front who's you know experienced, um, and they play really good defense. That's that's what impresses me most about them. But the rest of them, as far as you know, talent, and I just think Kentucky's. Kentucky's right there with them. So, yeah. All right, we've gone on long enough. We'll talk uh, more about Texas A&M, that game, tomorrow. And 
you get a chance to hear from John Calipari, so we'll discuss what he said, and maybe uh, Kyle will ask him whether or not he's going to put Ashton Haggins on the bench for this game against Texas A&M. <laughs> Tune in great. tomorrow to find out. In the meantime, follow us on Twitter. I'm at D-R-I-E-F-F-E-R. Kyle is at? Kyle Tucker underscore A-T-H, and it's actually going to be uh, Kenny Payne tomorrow. So no. Kidding. Oh, it's Kenny Payne. So, all right. Well, Kenny Payne might tell you. <laughs> yes. I doubt it, though. All right. <laughs> we'll talk to you tomorrow, guys. Thanks for listening. You are locked on Kentucky. Available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or tell Alexa or Google to play podcast Locked On. Don't worry, I won't finish. You get the idea.